Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our very first episode of the Naked Truth Podcast. Today, we're going to be starting with our foundation, which is going to be our true moments. So what that means is we're going to kind of describe to you guys a little bit about ourselves and what was my true moment, meaning what was the moment that I realized that I needed to work on my mental health or that I could possibly have a mental health disorder and what were the steps that I took in that moment to get the help that I needed. Um, And we would love for you guys to join in. So after you listen to the podcast, hop on Twitter with hashtag my true moment and let us know when was the moment that you realized that you needed help. So I'm going to go ahead and let Alea start and kind of introduce herself and let you know a little bit about what her true moment was. Yes. So ripping the band-aid straight (laughs) off. (laughs) Um, As uncomfortable as this kind of is, this is what we're doing this for. This is the whole point. So we're just going to jump right into it. Um, Of course, I'm Lay. And... My true moment happened on December 31st, 2015. (laughs) Um, Coincidentally, Leah was there (laughs) and she got to see it all unfold and blow up. It was huge. Yeah. (laughs) How so, um, to begin. I was in a long-term relationship um, that looking back was extremely unhealthy, but you know what? God puts you in the right place at the right time. So, um, and I was having a lot of personal, you know, self-esteem issues and kind of not really knowing, understanding that I had an issue, very angry and very negative. And looking back, I kind of could see the signs, but at the time I didn't know that they were signs. And I got to a point where I was drinking heavily um, a bottle a night. Leah um, can attest to Unfortunately, that. Unfortunately, yes, I can. How often do you think um, I drink? Definitely every day. But I'm not going to sit here and say, like, she took a bottle of whiskey in her room every night and, like, killed it. But a bottle of wine it was for wine. sure. Um, and then on December 30th, my best friend, Justin Greer, shout out to him, came back from the Navy and I'm like, cool, let's all get together. Cause Leah and I had that apartment at this time. And so like, let's all get together. Let's get super drunk. I'm fresh 21. Let's have a good time. So, you know, we all get to there at my house, our house and we're all drinking and everything's great. And all the alcohol in my system. Um, some a conversation started. Yeah, um, conversation started in regards to my boyfriend at the time, and I, and with me having low self esteem and me being intoxicated, I completely misconstrued the conversation, and I got so angry that I threw a full beer bottle in his him. face. So I got about half of that beer bottle in my face. And everything just erupted. It was like, I honestly can't say that I remember all of the details because I was so belligerent drunk, but it just like erupted into like this huge brawl, me against the wall. Super relevant, I don't think. 
Yeah. It's just like, that's the night that it went from like, I had everything that I ever wanted to um, all of it being ripped out from under me. And so the reason I tell these little, this little backstory is that um, I was so upset and I felt like it was me against the world and I was fighting like it was me against the world. And I got to the point where I was like, you know what? It is me against the world and I don't want to do this anymore. And so um, I took my spare keys after Leah calmed me, you know, got my keys from me. Um, I took my spare key and I went driving and I got on a back road in Lancaster. And I just kind of was like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I hate who I am. I hate my relationship. All my friends hate me. My boyfriend is never going to speak to me again. Like, what am I even doing any of this for? Like, all life sucks. <laughs> and, um, no, honestly, I just, I pulled over, I sat there, and, like, where I was sitting, there was a ditch to my right. Like, slightly to my right, there was a ditch. And I was so belligerent and drunk that I didn't notice there was a guardrail there. But um, I saw the ditch, I just kind of cursed God and hit the gas pedal. I was like, for, forget it. And by the grace of God, I was unsuccessful in crashing my car. I ended up on top of Won't the guardrail. Um, and that is nothing but God. God put that guardrail there. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, if it wasn't there, I would have flipped over into this ditch and I would likely not be here today. Um, so that was when I first attempted to commit suicide. And um, the next day, well... I remember when I got home, I told Leah, like, I just want to die. Right. So we can firmly say that in this moment, this was the moment that pushed you to the point where you realized you needed help. But at this particular moment, you did not want help. I didn't. I didn't want help. It took a long time. It took months, months. I'm talking like months for me to throwing things at me, throwing her phone because she didn't want to talk to her mom. Nobody could help. Like, she was just solidly done. She had just decided that she was finished. And so, how did that, what did that feel like for you? Like, I'm kind of interested in, like, what was that, like, on the outside looking in, I've never really understood. Like, what does that look like? How did that feel to watch somebody be as distraught oh as I God, was? Oh, my God, terrifying. Because, I mean, anybody that knows us or grew up around our friend group knows that I'm kind of, like, the mama of the group. So the fact that this happened in our own home (laughs) under my own direct supervision, I was like baffled and, and it was really difficult to, to take my own responsibility in it too, of the fact that I did recognize your pattern and I did see that you were drinking a lot, or I did see that you weren't going to class or doing homework or sleeping all day. And because of what I was going through within myself, I didn't take the time to address that. Um, So I guess afterwards there was a lot of guilt, but like in that particular moment, it was just like trying to make sure that you were safe and trying to make sure that everybody else was safe too. Yeah, but honestly, my true moment when I realized I needed help um, was when I was in Meadowood. So um, my parents 
the next day after I crashed my car, came down to Ohio, packed my apartment up, and moved me to Delaware. That's how I ended up in Delaware. For everybody always wondering how the heck it I ended up in Delaware. Like one day she was me. there, the next day, her and all her stuff was gone. Yeah, I moved within a matter of like 24 hours. So I was severely depressed that whole month of January. Didn't leave my house the entire month of January, actually, almost. And, um, one day I had another episode. I was, you know, wanting to commit suicide. And my mom convinced me to go do an outpatient program at Meadowood Behavioral Health in Newark, Delaware. They have inpatient and outpatient care for mental health disorders. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll do the outpatient, whatever. I'll just, and I just agreed to do it so I could get everybody off my back. I wasn't even willing to do it for myself. I was only willing to do it so everybody could stop asking me to do it. And I went, and when you get there, you kind of do like an assessment with a nurse. Well, I did my assessment, and she decided that I was a danger to myself and to others, and she was legally not allowed to let me leave the campus. So I had the option to either voluntarily sign myself into inpatient, or that a psychiatrist would admit me against my will. So, of course, I decided to sign myself in voluntarily. They tell me, okay, if you sign yourself in voluntarily, you can leave in 72 hours. And even at this point, I'm like, whatever. I'm going to get this 72 hours over, and it's going to be it. And I get in there, and I felt so alone. I remember I got there on a day that they didn't have any open beds, so they let me sleep in the room where they put people who were um, distraught. So I had a room to myself. And I remember that first night I was laying there, and I was just like, I felt so alone. I never felt that alone in my entire life, even to this day. And I just was like, God, like, how did I end up here? How did I end up here? And being in Meadowood is when I realized if everybody else, even professionals, think I need help, then maybe I need help. Yeah, and I remember <laughs> even, like, talking on the phone with you throughout this process and seeing the change of, like, I'm being forced to do this. I don't want to do this or I don't need this into like, okay, so like this is what's happening. This is what they're telling me. And now just this is important to me to note because I feel like people need to understand that supporting your friends through things like this is not easy, but that doesn't mean that you go away or that you give up. So during this time, was this, before or after the second attempt? This, this, was, uh, this after. was after. Um, so just... This, that's, what, that's what after. Yeah, this was after the whole roof right. situation. So just for everyone to understand the whole roof situation a little bit, afterwards, um, because of the way she was feeling, a lot of her support normally comes from her really close friends and her family, of course, specifically in matters like this from myself or from her older brother. And after that attempt, there was a statement made about that it was our fault, that it was because of the fact that we were not necessarily giving up on her, but normally both of us were much gentler and it had gotten to a point where I was like, you need help. I will not vouch for you to your parents to come back home. You cannot live with me when I fear for your life or your safety. And um, 
And that was a really hard thing to hear. So naturally, I could have just been like, this is too much, I'm done. Or I'm not going to be responsible for her feeling X, Y, Z. Or if she thinks that I'm the reason that she doesn't want to be here anymore, then why would she even want to be friends with me? But you have to look past the hurtful things that people will say to put up a defense mechanism or the fact or understand that they may truly feel that way and understand why they feel I that did. way. I did. I did. Honestly, at this point in my life, I felt completely abandoned. I felt like the entire world. Mm, wow. This is like ripping abandoned. Isn't off. it? Mm. I don't think you've ever right. really like, <laughs> talked in depth about the fact that you like, yeah, put responsibility um, on me for that second attempt. I did. I did. When I tried to hang myself off of my roof, I felt like the one person who always saw some sort of good in me left me. I felt completely abandoned. I felt like the entire world just said, you're too much. And we, I honestly, I felt like I didn't want to be alive. And at that point, I felt like nobody else wanted me to be either. either. Which was definitely not the case. I felt like I had no choice but to be firm because I was the only one left that wasn't being that way. And that I was still giving you that opportunity to feel like things could go back to the way that they were without any significant change in you. And and I think that was the hardest part was for me to say, no, that's not happening. Yeah, you were the last one because I remember I sent that text message. I sent all of the girls, all my best friends, shout out to all y'all for saying no. Thank God y'all said no. Um, But text message, please, please convince my parents that I'm okay and so that they'll let me come back to Ohio. And every single one of them said no. And I'm like, what y'all mean? And honestly, I never had that much hate in my soul for another person until that day. I hated y'all that day. I'm not even going to lie. I hated y'all. I wanted to physically, and this is how you know I was sick. I wanted to hurt myself and I physically wanted to hurt other people. That's how, that's a true moment is when I can look back and say the fact that you all telling me no made me want to hurt you, made me want to say things that were hateful, wanted to say things that would upset you. That's how I know I was sick. I was, I remember reading that message and being terrified at the response that I knew I had to give because remembering that night and remembering the fear that I felt for even having to leave to drop someone off or get in the shower knowing that I had, you know, migraine pills or anything around made me sick to my stomach. And I thought, I can't live like this every day. And um, I don't want anyone hearing this to think like, oh, okay, cool. You went to Meadowood, you decided you needed help, and you got help, and everything was fine. I attempted suicide five more times after yeah, that. Definitely <laughs> um, bust some more of these yeah. stories wide open. This is just like. Yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah we got a lot of stories for y'all. Um, In the past, what was this, 2018, the past three years, yeah, three years I have attempted suicide seven times. Um quite honestly, one of which was this year. And we'll get to that, you know, in later episodes. But um, hearing all of this is so funny because my situation was so drastic. My true moment was so, like, And then so, we're going like, to get to mine and you like, oh. And it's so funny how you see it because mine was so in your face. It's hard to miss. It was the topic of discussion 
for a long time because it was the thing that was crazy that happened. But Leah's was very subtle. And I lived with Leah and I never knew. Exactly. (laughs) Which honestly, when you can put all of that like theatrical pressure on someone else, like when someone has um, issues that are more apparent than your own, it makes it very easy to hide behind those. Um, For me personally, I've actually had anxiety pretty much my whole life. So you talk to my mom, teachers, babysitters. As a child, I was highly anxious. And that comes from being um, just such a people pleaser in general and wanting to be such a perfectionist. When I was a kid, I had to be the best at everything. I would get anxiety over getting 99 problems done on a timed 100 problem math test and to the point that I would have to get sent to the nurse because I was like about to vomit. I had worked myself up so much. Or um, as a kid, I was terrified of dying. Like, I went through this, like, two, three-year phase where I I couldn't sleep. I couldn't do anything because I was just, like, morbidly terrified of the idea that I could die doing anything at any moment. Uh, And so I learned to kind of get that under control a little bit. But I would say that my true moment happened when I was in the fifth grade. So when I was in the fifth grade, my uncle passed away. And um, to know me, you would know that I was raised by a single mom, my dad was kind of in and out had, you know, his own issues with um, drug abuse and selling drugs. He's actually currently incarcerated. And I have a great relationship with my dad, I always have, um, for the most part. But During this time, he was away in prison, and I had just moved to Columbus. I grew up in Portsmouth, Ohio, which is like a super small town. And when I moved to Columbus, I, of course, like tried to make friends, and and it seemed to be going okay. And then my uncle died, and he was probably 12 years older than me, so he kind of filled the position of my dad. He was my uncle. He was like an older brother. And at the exact same time that he died, I had to move from Columbus City Schools. Actually, no, this was eighth grade. I apologize. I had to move from Columbus City Schools into Reynoldsburg Schools, which for people who aren't familiar with the area, Columbus Public Schools are the like inner city schools of Columbus and suburbs are like Reynoldsburg. And I moved to Reynoldsburg. Uh, My uncle dies three days before school starts. My very first day of school, I was um, at his funeral. And I just remember having this mental break. I have journals that I kept from moments where I would just black out, um, lose huge chunks of time, like hours of time. Um, And this is the moment when my eating disorder became my only foundation, like the only thing that I could really hold on to. So what I mean by that is I felt like I couldn't control anything else in my life. I couldn't control that my dad was in prison. I couldn't control that my mom kept moving me to different cities, had to keep making new friends. I couldn't control that my uncle had just passed away but I could control what I put in my mouth and I could control how that made me feel. 
and it just snowballed into this huge extreme um, that I pretty much carried with me for my entire life, and no one ever really noticed or cared. I I definitely didn't notice, and I can think back to times where we lived together, and you were just like, I'm not going, I'm not hungry. And I'm like, Leah, you ain't ate all day. We've been together all day, and you haven't eaten anything. And But it never occurred to me that Leah could have an eating disorder because I didn't know anything about eating disorders. So in my mind, she's not throwing up throwing up every time she eats toast. She's <laughs> and not, not only that. She's not like, but I'm not a thin person. I've never necessarily been a thin person. I've always been curvy. I've always had boobs before everybody else. Um, but I used to be like very active and very fit in terms of doing runs and um, doing yoga, doing Pilates. And so people see thicker girls lose weight and immediately you get praised. Like everybody goes, oh my God, you look so good. Nobody asks you how you did it in terms of if it was healthy or not. Nobody cares if it was a drastic amount of weight in a short period of time. Um, if you're losing rapid weight, but you were considered to be overweight, then everybody thinks that's okay. It's not like I was, you know, 70 pounds and you could see my bones, right? So that's fine. Um, but I was getting migraines all the time. I ended up all the time. Uh, going to the doctor, having blood work done, and I had deficiencies in freaking everything. Iron, vitamin D, vitamin C, um, my white blood cell count was like, everything was just insane because I was legitimately starving myself. Like I would eat maybe trigger warning here because I know getting on numbers can be really, um, difficult for anybody who has experienced this. But for me, I was eating probably about 500 calories a day. Um, I went to extremes enough of like, convincing myself that I was allergic to bread, that I was allergic to dairy, that I couldn't eat these things because if I did, then I would just like keel over and die. So I created this fear of food. And I thought of it as being a strength because instead of recognizing it as a fear of food, I was seeing it as the control of being able to restrict myself so much and still function and the secrecy of it was fun to me. The The fact that I could do this and that nobody would ever notice and that I could go to mm -hmm. restaurants and just order a yeah. drink or something and people would be like, that's normal. Yeah, and what's funny about it is this is how I know you disguised it so well. When we were living together, we cooked all the time. But we cooked because we had boyfriends who came over to eat. And so you just kind of is kinda like kind of looking back on it. It's not saying that you were being deceptive because I don't think you were trying to be deceptive. But it's kind of like I can remember times where you would cook this big meal and barely eat anything. Eat everybody else. Eat everyone else and barely touch it. I was a stress cooker. And That's the thing. I love to cook. Anyone who knows me knows I really, really do enjoy cooking. And I would, like she said, cook these huge like family meals and invite a bunch of people over to eat the food so that it wouldn't be in my face because I cooked it because it felt good to cook it, but I didn't want to eat it. Yeah. Which is insane. And so I think 
another thing too is that you have to put your social norms aside. You have to stop. You have to throw out what your notions are about certain mental health disorders or about mental health disorders in general um, because you think anorexia or bulimia and you think of somebody that is, you know, 70 pounds, that has no color, that throws up after every meal or only eats carrots or you think of somebody who's bipolar and you confuse it with schizophrenia and you think that they have multiple personalities and that they they change like you could literally be looking at them and all of a sudden they just change into this completely different person um and you think this only happens to crazy people this only happens to the kids that i would suspect to be a school shooter this only happens to people who you know grew up without proper parenting that's not true just all of that is complete falsehood it's not you can even look at me i grew up with two parents in a household you know once my parents went back to school i was fortunate to have things that a lot of people didn't have and even to this day you know my family's well off and you can look at it and be like she has everything what is it what is there to be sad about and and that's actually why i never told anyone that i was feeling you know bad about myself before I crashed my car because I felt like anytime I say something that upsets me it's like well what do you have to be sad about so I was afraid that if I told anyone why I wasn't going to class or why I had to drink every night to go to sleep then it would be like you know I didn't and I also didn't understand that I had a mental illness so I was just afraid of the what, what people would think and even years into me knowing I was depressed, I didn't know I was manic yet, but I still, I remember there would be times where I would have melt, you know, have these huge crises. And um, I remember actually last year for Halloween, I went to a, a party with my cousin Tiara and I had an anxiety attack. I stayed in the car for seven hours while she was in her and my friends were in this party because I was too upset to go inside. And the next day I went to Wawa. I was on the phone with my mom. I was so upset. And I kept telling her, I think everybody can see it. And she's like, how could everybody see it? And I'm like, they're looking at me. She's like, they're not looking at you. They can tell and they think I'm crazy. And that's, but that's what it feels like. But it doesn't make you crazy. You can, and, and looking back on high school and early college, now that I know about mental illness, I know that I could, I could pinpoint all of the symptoms. I could, I, it, it's clear as day to me now that I was bipolar. If anybody's listening to this from high school, you'll probably remember the time we had a hotel party and I pulled a butter knife on Devon Bollinger. Like, who does that? But like, looking back on these things, I could see the symptoms, but I always assumed that mental illness meant crazy. I always thought that people who had mental illness saw things and they heard things and they, they wanted to, Oh, cut dogs, you know, up open, and and I never really understood. And then even when my brother was depressed, I thought depression was just sadness. It's something you come out of. Cool, you're depressed for a couple months, you get over it, life moves on, and that's that. It's so crazy. And Leah would always tell me, "What is it you always tell me, Leah?" Oh, that depression, <laughs> depression. is cold. It's not. <laughs> something that you take a pop of a couple of pills for and then you wake up the next day and you feel great and then it never comes back. Like this is a long-term life disease and that is not a fun thing to say and it feels really daunting and it feels really heavy, 
but the sooner you are able to recognize that there is no quick fix, the sooner you will actually begin to get better. Yeah. I remember my first um, psychiatrist outside of Meadowood actually told me that. She said, well, depression's a lifelong thing. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, no, I'm not going to be on antidepressants my whole life. I'm not going to be feeling like this my whole life. And that doesn't mean I will be. I, I, I don't have to feel like that my whole life. But what she meant was that I did have a, a disorder that I could not control. It's a chemical imbalance in my brain. And the best that I could do was find the perfect concoction of spiritual and medical help to manage my life and heal from the trauma of, you know, the past few years. I'm going to be bipolar for the rest of my life. But, I'm, you know, it doesn't mean that I have to be any less of a productive citizen of this you know and everything has its seasons I mean I like I said have struggled with anxiety seasonal affective disorder and depression my whole entire life um and there are years that I go without ever having a really bad season and then there are some times where I'm like man this has been several months of this fog I can't get out of and I very vividly remember this specific moment when we lived together preceding any of this stuff that ever went down um that I was laying in my bed and I was so sad and just like so depressed. And I remember Alea and was it Imani came in yeah. on my bed <laughs> and I was trying to explain to them what it felt like. I was trying to explain that I physically could not get out of that bed. Like that nothing that they said to me or did was going to make me get up that I was fearful that when my feet hit the ground something bad would happen I mean as a little backstory during this particular time there were a lot of things happening in my life that were really difficult which is kind of like story of my life I'm that girl that if something bad could happen it will no matter what like I try to be the most like speak life positive person I can but I am just one of those people where stuff is constantly getting thrown at me. And normally I juggle it all really well. But in that specific moment, I remember just feeling so defeated and not being able to explain to them what I meant by that. Like they thought, oh, you're just sad. You're just having a bad day. And I just kept saying like, I can't do this. Like, I don't want to get out of bed in the mornings. I just want to sleep. I just want to stay here. If I don't leave this bed, nothing bad will ever happen to me. And I'm not ever getting up. I remember you saying that. I remember you actually saying, if I don't get out of this bed, nothing bad can happen. Which is so crazy to think about the conversations that we had to have later on. Because I know in that moment, they were so confused. Like, why is this person that we normally know to be so happily happy and so bubbly and so positive, the person that normally like pushes and encourages everybody else? I was just at my sinking point. My relationship was in a really, really bad place at that time. And anybody who, you know, knows me personally knows that that is my like rock. That's my foundation. 
you know, Micah is my best friend in the entire world. And at that moment, we were not good. My mom had just moved back to Portsmouth. I had my own apartment for the first time. I was working two or three jobs and going to school full time. And I was just shutting down. And on top of that, the devil was oh, coming yeah. for me hard. And you had to leave with me while that was happening and, and tried to be the positive one, the lesser of two evils, in a sense. Right, um, and it became difficult it when, is- on top of everything happening with me, things were happening to Lay, and she wasn't as equipped to handle those things, so I was getting a lot of the backlash of it, or the bad n- moods after work, or the, you know, how she was feeling after arguments with a boyfriend, um, or just trying to, you know, juggle all of that on top of it, and having that just energy in the house of just sadness a lot yeah and it's funny like looking back like you said on the conversations that we had that day with you know me you and Imani because I often have people ask me how is it that you went two years without being in school or having a job and I'm like easy I couldn't get out the bed and now looking back on that day I remember that day vividly like trying to say whatever we could say to make you feel better and it not working. And it wasn't that it didn't work because we're terrible friends. It couldn't, couldn't help you. It didn't work because we didn't understand what you were going through is why is why, you know, what you were going through is the same reason I couldn't work for two years. I couldn't go to school for two years. So it's just interesting to like, look back now that you know, and this is why we do this podcast. Cause the more you know about mental illness, the more you'll be able to understand where other people are and you'll be able to say, okay, it's not, it's not one thing. It's, it's, it's a mental illness. Cause it's easy to just be like, Leah's just being lazy and having a bad day. And she's just upset about Micah. And this is the hardest thing is that a lot of times with females, whenever one of our friends are in a small crisis and it seems like it's because of a boyfriend, it's like, Oh, it's just a boy. Right. Get over it. But the boy may just be the icing on the cake. Exactly. And that's, it may be a lot of filler underneath. Exactly. It's just about understanding that you need to tweak your perception of things a little bit because, again, when we lived together, I was constantly under the impression of feeling like um, Alea was being ridiculous. I won't even put it in any other terms than that. I would think you literally have it all. You know, your parents help you with your bills. You don't worry about money you can just you know go to and from do whatever you want you were given a car like all of these things and I thought how could you possibly be so upset that you need to drink every night or that you need to be in such a bad mood and come home and ruin my mood and my atmosphere when I'm out here busting my butt and I have to like I have to make ends meet for me like I have to provide for myself and and you put up these walls and you think these are the people that are allowed to feel this way and these are the people that are not allowed to feel this way. And you can't do that. That's not okay. Because I also realized that there were things that I was more equipped to handle because of the experiences that I had had that she wasn't equipped to handle. And in that moment, as a friend, I should have stepped in. And it took me way too long to step in and say, you know what, I have been through this, here, let me help you, instead of feeling, I almost, this is kind of hard to say, I guess, 
I felt like at a certain point it was like nobody helped me. So why would I put all my energy into helping somebody who's going to get all the help they need, that is going to get the intervention, that's going to get the therapist, that's going to get the medication, that's going to have the ability to not work or go to school for two years and just figure things out. I remember having so much resentment toward the accessibility of your recovery, I guess, that it took me a long time to want to participate in that recovery. And it's just so interesting because I felt so much shame in my own recovery. Um, And, you know, with the fact that in 2018, I worked at Custom Decor, and that was the longest I had a job since I crashed my car. And I felt like a complete failure. And there are still days where I feel like a complete failure. Who, what adult doesn't work or go to school (laughs) for two years? And I felt like, I just lost it. Like, I felt like everything, I just completely put my life on hold. And now I can look back and thank God for it because I was, you know, fortunate to be in the position where I could take those two years to really figure out what was going on in my own mind. But, like, they're not going to lie. There are times where I felt so much shame. And people would ask me, oh, are you in school? And I'd go, mm yeah, I'm taking some time off from Ohio State. And I love throwing Ohio State out there because it makes me sound pretentious. And it makes me sound like I have things going on in my life. And people will say, oh, well, where do you work? And I have to, oh, I'm in school. And then people will say, are you in school? And I say, oh, no, I work a full-time job. Because I can't tell strangers that I sleep on my cousin's couch and don't do anything. And honestly. I can't tell. Well, how am I supposed to you yeah. know? <laughs> But it's just interesting, you know, looking back on all of it and our true moments and seeing, you know, how they were so different, but how they yeah, were so and similar. And as we wrap up, the the sad truth is that this is reality for so many of us, particularly for college students and, and even a lot of like high school students. But I mean, I did drop out um, with three semesters remaining. Um, I got all the way up to you know, having just three semesters left. And it got to the point where I had to choose being able to live and support myself or go to school because going to school and working full time with my mental health was just not, um, it wasn't happening. And there are too many people that we're seeing, you know, suicides, people jumping off of parking garages at school or overdosing or, you know, dropping out because they feel like they don't have the support that they have in the school's um, therapy systems or being able to get those, um, get the help or ask the questions. So that's why we want to take the stigma off of being open about your mental health and about your mental illness. So we would love it if you would participate with us, take in some of what we've said, um, and take to Twitter, take to Instagram, um, hop on Snapchat, let us know what was your true moment. Are you having it right now? Do you have any questions? I mean, that's what we're here for. So many of us are going through this. So many of us wake up every day and have to motivate ourselves to get out of bed or motivate our friends or fear for our friends and their, their safety. Um, and it's time to stop being quiet and stop pushing it under the rug and start doing something about it. It, it definitely. And so if this 
first episode. Yes. yes it's going to be lit. It's going to be so lit. We're going to talk about everything from medications to how we handle it in relationships because I have been in two relationships that are completely different in terms of my mental illness. And we're going to talk about friendships. We're going to talk about, you know, weight gain on medication. There's a lot of things, a lot of topics we're going to cover. Um, but first, before we can do those, we need everyone to understand what it took us a long time to understand that it's okay and you're not lesser of a person and what you are going through a lot of other people go through it and you shouldn't be ashamed to say this is where I am in life so definitely hashtag my true moment let us know Facebook Instagram Twitter Snapchat eHarmony you know SOS in the sky send us a bird signal whatever it is you got to do let us know what your true moment is and if you're too you know, still in a place where you're not comfortable putting it out there publicly, DM us, Instagram us, DM us, whatever, and let us know. And if you have any questions or anything you want to say, just definitely, you know, we'll, you can disclose to us. Once again, you know, we will never, you know, disclose any information that you don't want disclosed. So definitely let us know your true moment. Where can they find us on Twitter, Lay? They can find us on Twitter at the Naked Truth. (laughs) Wait, wait, no. That's not where you can find us. Our email, our email is nakedtrue.podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at the Naked True, true with T, two U's. And you can find us, of course, on iTunes and SoundCloud now. So thank y'all, everybody. We will be back next Wednesday at You can also find our personal Twitter and Instagram. Mine will be under Lalalia. L-I-Y-A-H for both. And I am on Twitter at underscore Issa, I-S-S-A, Lay, L-A-I, underscore. And you can also find me on Instagram at OK underscore Lay underscore. We'll see y'all next week.